0: Obscure in history and in man's tradition and see if we can find more evidence of possibilities. And I'm approaching this going through uh, different references I found in the Bible itself before we get to other evidences such as archaeology and so on. I'll make passing mention of some of those or references to them at this time. But I want to establish possibilities in our mind from the Bible itself. And then see if what we find in other sources corroborates that, adds to it, or if it is in if it's contrary to what we are seeing here. Uh, I found some interesting things this morning and had been on my mind to check for some time and I finally got around to it. About Egypt. Now I'll quote the world's greatest authority. Everybody knows that from the land of Israel in the Middle East, uh, Egypt is south. A bit southwest, but essentially south of what they call the promised land over there. And the Nile River, obviously, then is the river of Egypt. And on and on it goes with history as we know it from man's sources. But I think that there is another possibility for some of these things, and I want to read today uh, a little bit about that from Scripture, and then some evidence from other sources that make it quite interesting to consider possibilities other than what we've been told about Egypt and the Nile and so on. Let's go first of all to Genesis 12 with a bit of a brief review here. and a couple of points as we get down into this chapter. Genesis 12, Now the Eternal had said to Abram, Get you out of your country, and from your kindred, and from your father's house, and a land that I will show you. Now, wherever he was when this statement was made, was a place that he was familiar with, knew the environs, the geography, the... Uh, site places, the cities and countries and so on, he knew them. But this was a land, apparently far enough away, that he did not automatically know where it was, okay? It is a land I will show you. Not something that you are familiar with, but something you will have to be shown. Now, I think that that would cause it to necessarily be quite distant from his own neighborhood. Now, if he were living anywhere near the Middle East, he would have known that area, okay? And probably fairly well, because there would have been trade routes, there would have been people coming and going, And if you consider the Fertile Crescent, to have begun in the Mesopotamian area, that is from Turkey kind of east in a crescent and down into Egypt, if you look at the Fertile Crescent on maps, they include the Nile as part of it, and that's kind of where they get their crescent. But most of it was up around the Euphrates River in the east of the nation of Turkey and and into uh, Persia and and, uh, Iraq and so on. How far would you have to go before you went to a land that you would need to be shown? I guess that's open to speculation, but still in all, a point can be made here. This was a distance away, unfamiliar. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you and curse him that curses you, And in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, we've covered that before, uh, read this scripture before. But God said he would curse the nations that cursed Abraham and his seed and bless the ones that blessed him. Now, he was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. Now, let me draw again a possibility, and I think that this has to be considered. I've mentioned it before, but here might be a good place to interject it again. That if the promised land indeed was here in this nation, and the original Jerusalem, Garden of Eden, uh, Zion, and so on were also in this land, (coughs) then how did everything get over there? And I think what Ruth said, and I mentioned it once during the feast, is that the ark could have floated from here. The mountains and hills, from scriptural evidence, apparently were quite low at that time. And there was only probably one continent. Uh, Nimrod was in the second generation after the flood, and Peleg was the fourth generation. So is there a possibility that the division of the earth was in those two situations, both the scattering of the peoples all over the land, all over the world, and then a division of the continents that came afterward where the wrinkling occurred in the continental shelves and in the mountains and so on? I think that that is a very distinct possibility from the book of Genesis and things we've already examined. But if the ark did float and landed upon the mountains of Ararat, which are today the ones they know of as Ararat are in Turkey, and then Noah and his sons and families went down to the land east of there and began civilization, uh, the Tower of Babel could easily have been built there, Uh, the civilizations that we know of, of Babylon and Assyria uh, and so on, Persian, could easily have certainly been there. And there are great cities and a great amount of evidence that those peoples were there. So was that cradle of civilization truly a cradle of civilization, but perhaps not the first? Now, Abraham was living in a certain area, and then he went to Haran, which is similar to Iran today. Perhaps went eastward. I think it does say he went eastward at one point to Haran. And he stayed there a while and then left to go seek the city and the place, a land that God would show him. So he knew how to get around over there. But how to get here? That's another question, perhaps, after the continents had been divided. Uh, now, from that plain of Babel, or Babylon, the original ancient one in the Middle East, or, well, in Mesopotamia, let's say, Nimrod was a mighty builder, and he was of the peoples of Han. He built or was behind the Tower of Babel, and other cities in the area. So, the Hamitic peoples today, (coughs) who occupy primarily, I think, the continent of Africa, have not done much there without European help. And they have been chastised even by, I heard a black preacher over here one time, Chastising the people of Africa that they had not done any great work over there. What are you doing? You're doing nothing. But the Bible itself shows that the Hamitic people were great builders right after the flood. What happened? Why did they lose that ambition or that capacity that was clearly there prior to the modern era? Shortly after the flood, they were very prominent and then became less so. Where did they go from Mesopotamia? Well, from the Tower of Babel, God says he caused the people to scatter to the whole world. It appears that the three major races of people, the... uh, Japhetic went to Asia. Uh, The Hamitic went, well, apparently to Africa. But we'll see a great presence of Hamitic peoples in South America and Central America, and huge cities built there that are just now, many of them, being discovered monstrous cities, majestic cities. Now, had those people been builders then and had spread, and if the continents together, they may have been partly on Africa, partly in South America. Did they take their city building capacities with them and build great civilizations in another part of the earth like they had started out to do in Babel? I think that there is that great possibility based on the proclivity to do such in the biblical record and we shall see from other sources that there was a great a uh, great evidence that there is great evidence of black people being in central and south america we'll not get to all that today but i want to give a bit of an overview here is it possible that abram came this far. They came into the land of Canaan, verse 6, And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sikkim, unto the plain of Moreh. And the Canaanite was then in the land. Now, Israel had been, or later went into captivity in Mitzriam, one of the major uh, branches of the peoples of Ham. And the Canaanite, however had been cursed because of whatever happened there with Noah, uh, and the curse came on Cain. Now, is it possible that you had a huge black population uh, in Central, South America, maybe Africa, but perhaps even the Hamitic peoples themselves had ostracized Canaan because of what he had done? Not just Shem or Japheth, but even Ham itself. You know, even in our families today, we speak of someone who uh, does not live up to the level of the rest of the family with various names that we might call them uh, because they're not on the up and up like the rest of the family, perhaps. Black sheep is one of the ones that comes to mind. Now, Perhaps that is a bit of a racist statement, I don't know. Uh, It has also to do with sheep, because among sheep, if you've been around sheep, about 10% of them are black and the rest are white. So it may have been that that derived from that rather than as a racial thing, I do not know, and I guess it really doesn't matter. But those references are made among peoples. Uh, So... Did Canaan then go ahead and continue moving on when Mithraim settled and went into this land and had all those tribes of Canaanites here? A question. Anyway, uh, when he was in the land of Canaan, the Eternal appeared to Abram and said, "Under Under your seed will I give this land to you and your seed here, so those who would follow him. And there he built an altar to the Eternal who appeared to him. And then he went from there and built uh, on the east of Bethel, pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar. And Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. So he moved from the promised land on a southward path. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Now from this I will extrapolate that Egypt, or the Egyptians, or Mitzriam, were to the south of the promised land. Now if the Middle East and the environs thereof are a mirror image of over here, then we should be able to find Mitzrium to the south of what we have come to see as a possibility of the promised land. That's this area we reside in. Now, is that sustainable, and is that a possibility? So he went down into Mitzrium, for the famine was grievous in the land. Now, why were people always going when there was a famine, when there were difficulties? Why did they always go into Mithraim? If you look at the Egypt of today on the map, except for the Nile River, it's waste-howling desert. Well, why would people go to a desert, or did the Nile produce enough at all times that people were able to sustain there and not in other areas? Or, might Egypt or Mitzriam have been a more verdant land? A land that could sustain even when there was drought and famine. Much of the American Southwest is at least partly desert, as is much of Mexico. But when you get to Central and South America, you find lots and lots of rainforest and plenty of vegetation, lots of rain... Now, on the west side of the Andes, it's somewhat more barren, but even Chile along the west side of the Andes is, though partly desert, a very productive country. A thought. Now, let's go to Isaiah 11. Quite an interesting account here in Isaiah 11. I'd never thought of it quite this way before, but let's look at it from the element or the standpoint of what I've been saying here the last few minutes. Now this is speaking, we we just have been through uh, the first chapters of Isaiah just prior to the feast and about the prophecies having to do with Ephraim and of Syria and so on, which we are facing in the world today and they seem to be quite obviously speaking of now. Now, whether this is speaking of the microcosm of the millennium and God providing a Zerubbabel who would be a type of Christ to start a small viewpoint of what the millennium can be, or whether in its full effect, uh, with Christ being here during the millennium, certainly that is the case with chapter 11, but it could also be the microcosm of the millennium that we talk about that can be used as a a witness to the world. But anyway, that aside, let's go down to verse uh, 12. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations. He does say the Zerubbabel will be an ensign uh, there at the end of the book of Haggai. And shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. So whether it be the gathering of the remnant of the church or later the gathering of the remnant of all Israel from where they have been taken captive all over the earth, uh, it's speaking of it here. The envy also of Ephraim shall depart. Has not this country been envied a great deal? And that envy is quickly disappearing today. And the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. But they shall fly up on the shoulders of the Philistines toward the west. So they may have been taken captive all over the world, but they'll flee to the west, or go to the west. What is known as the west today? The earth is round, so pick a number, but... Uh, we reference this area, these two continents as the west, and Asia is the east, and then those parts in between. Of course, history is written from a European standpoint, and that's primarily why we do that. They shall spoil them of the east together. They shall lay their hand upon Edom and Moab, and the children of Ammon shall obey them. I think that that may be the case right here. Uh, I want to go into it a bit more about who Moab and Ammon and Edom are uh, today. There may be some in the Middle East, but I think there's some right here in this area as well. And they will have to obey God's people here at the end because we will take charge. And the Eternal shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea, is that the Nile? And with his mighty wind shall he shake his hand over the river and shall smite it in the seven streams and make men go over dry shod. What do you mean, seven streams of the river or tongue of Egypt? Now, I looked the Nile up this morning and checked on its tributaries in the atlases and so on, and looked up tributaries of the Nile, and most name two the Blue Nile and the White Nile, coming out of the highlands of almost down into Central Africa. A few mentioned also the Atbara, which comes in from the east, is smaller. Uh, So three tributaries, if you count the Atbara, of the Nile. Now where do you get seven streams? mention was made of the Yellow Nile, which no longer exists, but they say was a river from maybe 10,000 to 1,000 B.C. It's now just a dry area, a drainage, but nothing in it. Now, there's possibly four back then. So why does the Bible talk about the seven streams of the tongue of Egypt? I then went to the Amazon River, looked it up in World Atlas on the Internet, and lo and behold, it said that the Amazon is the largest tropical rainforest in the world, that the Nile drainage covers like two two million 2,700,000 square miles. Huge thing, about a third of the continent of South America. It is larger than, well, depending on which source I use, and there were several. Some said it was as big as the five largest river on the earth combined. One said it was as big as the seven next largest. And one said ten. The Amazon River is an incredible river. Many miles wide, and during flood period can be 30 miles wide. Makes the Mississippi look like a creek. <clears throat> now it's said that it has up to 1,000 tributaries, but there are seven that are more than 1,000 miles in length. So it has lots of short tributaries, lots of smaller rivers coming in, But seven major ones that form the Nile. Uh, Not the Nile, the Amazon, excuse me. I find that very interesting, based on Isaiah 11, verse 15. He will smite the seven streams of the river of Egypt. Now, that would be quite a task to smite those so that men could go over, as it said, in shoes or dry shot. Now, that would be the case it the Nile in Egypt as well. It would take quite a miracle to part that river so that men could go over and in their shoes like they did at the Red Sea. I can't find seven streams for the river in the land of Egypt over there. But south of where I now think the promised land is, you have a major river, the most major river on earth, which is a tropical rainforest and in the past has been very productive and it has seven major tributaries. They are now finding, and we'll get to that eventually, I don't want to go there today because I want to stick basically to the Bible's story. And corroborate it a little here and there with this kind of information. But they are finding major cities in South America. Huge, as I said before, cities. And they are now under the jungle. Some of them are in caves under the mountains. They took an incredible amount of work to produce. Who did all that? Where are they now? Has there been somewhat of a climate change there? Or did they simply have the capacity to keep the jungles thrown back? Do you realize how fast things grow in that kind of a jungle? I mean, stuff can grow a foot or two or three in a day. I don't know all the answers. I'm just sorting out some possibilities here that if this continent, North America, be essentially the promised land from sea to sea, and Mitzriam was a great power on the earth. The Mitzriam or Egyptian empire, and by the chariots being overrun and the, and the whole army of Egypt destroyed at the Red Sea, it became a very base nation. And the power and the might was gone. Now we know that Israel, when in captivity in Mitzriam, built great cities for the Ephraimites. Uh, Ephraimites, for the Mitzrayimites. Where are those cities? Are they the ones that are being discovered today in South America? Just a question. We'll see a little later on. Now, they try to explain away do historians and archaeologists and explorers and adventurers and various ones the Red Sea being parted, and they say that the the, uh, delta of the Nile River in Egypt over there is called the Reed Sea rather than the Red Sea because it was a marshy area with lots of reeds and they could have possibly passed over it without any miracle from God. And yet the Bible calls it the Red Sea. Now, could we possibly find such a thing in the North and South American area? Interestingly, the Gulf of Mexico is known for its red tides. Little, I guess it's plankton or whatever that multiply very rapidly and turns the whole water Red. Could it possibly in the past have been called the Red Sea because of that? The red water that was in it? Is it possible that maybe from Cancun or somewhere there on that peninsula that sticks out uh, between Central and North America have had Israel trapped there? And maybe the sea parted parted the Gulf of Mexico maybe called the Red Sea at that time because of the Plankton and the Red Tide, and they crossed safely and went on north. Now, they could have wandered 40 years pretty easily between Cancun and here, or the Yucatan Peninsula and here. would have been quite easy to do so. Uh, you could have wandered back and forth across that area I don't know at this point, but I think there are some great possibilities here. Now, what happened to those people that built all those cities in South America? Where did they go? Where did all the people, if this were the promised land, and Abraham came here? Now, he got a late start, remember. When they came out of the ark, if the cradle of civilization was in Mesopotamia, Those people began to breed very quickly there and established empires. And each of those three sons had several sons who had lots of sons. And then population explodes when there's plenty of land, when there's enough to eat. There aren't wars, and they were all close together at that time. They probably multiplied very rapidly, but it was several generations before Abraham was born and it was through him, one person, well, actually two, you count Sarah, that he began a nation. Well, the others had a big head start on him. They could have already gone to areas of Africa, South America, North America, especially before the continents were divided. It would have been easy to have spread out, especially when you got scared half to death at the Tower of Babel and you couldn't understand these people and what they said anymore and Absolute confusion. So they fled and covered the whole earth, as it says there in Genesis 6, or whatever chapter it is uh, where it says they did that after the flood. So it's very possible that they covered all these areas. They had to, based on the biblical account. They had to go everywhere there was to go. And then, if it were divided, they were isolated. Well, God told Israel that if they sinned, they would be taken to Egypt in ships, Deuteronomy 28:68). Not just walk, but go by ship, which implies quite a distance. And it would have been futile to have gotten a whole bunch of ships together and hauled people from <laughs> Tel Aviv there on the coast or some port... Of modern Israel down to Egypt why bother you can walk a lot of people down there very quickly and Israel once it had come into the land had multiplied greatly and there were a lot of them so why not just march them south would have been easy to do it isn't that far across there rather than putting perhaps millions of them in ships or hundreds of thousands or how many ever there were at the time Now, did God kick Israel out of the promised land? We'll get to that a little later on about the desolations of the cities of Judah and of of Jerusalem and so on. But if if this were the promised land, and because of sin, God shipped Israel back to Europe and the Middle East then that's where they would have been. And maybe they were at that Egypt. Maybe they were in the land of the Middle East and Mesopotamia and through there. And then migrated through Europe where they were when God said, all right, now you can go back to the promised land. Well, if God said you can go back to the promised land and you will have it At the end, in the latter days, and be blessed, bless all the nations of the earth in the latter days, why didn't they go back to the original promised land in the Middle East, and God bless the whole world from there? Why is that not being done today? It does not fit the Scriptures whatsoever that that land of Israel is a blessing to the whole earth and made wealthy by it, and all when it falls, all the merchants and seamen of the earth will cry bitter tears that Babylon has fallen and we have no longer a market for our wares. Where do the merchants of the earth bring their wares today? Right here. We're the ones who've made those nations rich, prosperous, wealthy and been a blessing to them. So that kind of puts it here, doesn't it? Well, these things need to fit. And lo and behold, Isaiah eleven fifteen fits the Amazon far better than it fits the Nile River. The Nile really is only one river, isn't it? The blue and the white form it. Two major tributaries plus the Atbara, if you want to include it. So really a maximum of three. Not seven streams, but three down into one river. Uh, That also is interesting. Let's read verse 16. And there shall be a highway for the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria, like it was as it was to Israel on the day that he came up out of the land of Mitzrayim. So, he's quoting here people coming from all over the earth, verse 11, and that they'll be able to come from the north and the south, from Mitzriam in the south to the Assyrian in the north. So, the Bible looks at it that way. Essentially, those peoples north of Israel and those peoples south of Israel, but from all over the world as well. So he will dry up the seven streams of Mitzrium so that they can walk to Israel, and he will make a highway out of Assyria because uh, there isn't a water problem there, apparently. Maybe Assyria was north of here originally, and they got transplanted as well. Why did everybody leave over here? We find great cities Now, if you start studying North American archaeology, you find evidence of Israel all over the North American continent. It's just almost everywhere when you get into it. Where did all those people go? They left. Did God cause them to be run out and just left a mixed people behind? There is one reference. I didn't put it in here because I... I didn't know whether it fit yet or not, but it, it, it enters, it's, uh, references from the gate at Hamath down to A-H-M-O-Z, Amaz. That's almost like Amazon. The Amazon basin. I don't know. We say the land of Isaac can be traced just through S-C. <laughs> Amaz is pretty close to Amazon. Now, could the border of Israel and the Promised Land even include Mexico? What do we do with Mexico? Well, what is it? It's a brown skinned people. And when you mix, as I've said before, Ham, Japheth, and Shem, you come up with brown. That's just what the mix does. So, did God run those peoples out of here and just leave mixed peoples behind? When I visited Mexico City, I was quite impressed with the amount of blondes and redheads in that city. Was it just because the Spanish came over? You go to Spain and there's some redheads and blondes there, but primarily the people of Mexico or or brown, but even brown, they have red and blonde hair to a great degree. Maybe they're part of what was the original promised land, but it was that part was not given to us modernly, I don't know, but it could be that it stretched down to Central America and then the land of Mitzrium was from there down, I don't know. These are just some thoughts, some possibilities. But I do find seven streams quite interesting. Now let's go to Ezekiel 29. This is a prophecy about Mitzrium. In the tenth year, in the tenth month, in the twelfth day of the month... uh, the word of the eternal came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Pharaoh, king of Mitzrium, and prophesy against him and against all Mitzrium. Speak and say, thus says the eternal God, Behold, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Mitzrium, the great dragon that lies in the midst of his rivers. Great dragon, would that be possibly crocodiles? In the midst of his... Rivers. There is only one river in Egypt, the Nile. Now, why does God say the midst of his rivers, plural, which has said, My river is my own and I have made it for myself? But I will put hooks in your jaws, and I will cause the fish of your rivers to stick under your scales, and I will bring you up out of the midst of your rivers, and all the fish of the rivers shall stick to your scales. This implies a multitude of rivers in the land of Mitzriah. And I will leave you thrown into the wilderness, you and all the fish of your rivers, and you shall fall upon the open fields. You shall not be brought together and get nor gathered. I have given you for meat to the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven. Is it possible that Egypt originally, maybe the South American continent, was made desolate? That those people were moved out of there who were there? Does that not seem to be the case? You shall not be brought together nor gathered. I've given you for meat to the beasts of the field and to the fowls of the heaven. That means dead. Not there anymore. Eaten by beasts and birds. And all the inhabitants of Mitzrium shall know that I am the eternal, because they have been a staff of reed to the house of Israel. Now, this is in Ezekiel, which is an end-time prophecy as well. But these had a dual application in almost all cases of an original thing followed by something here in the end time. Now, when God destroyed the empire of Mitzriam, did this apply? And they were not gathered thereafter... But we're dead, gone. Maybe some left, the survivors. Maybe they went across to Africa, which was the nearest place to go, if you're under great pressure of famine, disease, death, whatever might come. You went where you could go. Verse 9, And the land of Egypt, or Mitzrayim, shall be desolate and waste, and they shall know that I am the Eternal, because he has said, The river is mine, and I have made it. It will be utterly waste and desolate, verse 10, from the Tower of Sain even to the border of Ethiopia. Was there a people then in Ethiopia? See, we have these political states today of Egypt and Ethiopia and the Sudan and so on that are political states, but these peoples may have come back from South America into Africa and settled it again. And they had been made so desolate and so uh, removed from the empire that they had once had that they lost their ambition. They became discouraged as a people and went into tribalism and were never again gathered together to do great works. They had done it under Nimrod in Mesopotamia. They may very well have done it in South America and been the ones that built the great public works that they are now finding there and then were devastated, made desolate, demoralized and become the basest of peoples who would never do anything prominent again in the history of mankind until Christ returns. So it is not that the ability wasn't there. It was not that the production wasn't there because the Bible records they were very productive and built great cities both in Nimrod's time and in the time Israel was there as slaves. Maybe they lost through what Ezekiel is saying that capacity or that ambition and drive to do it and therefore reverted to tribalism on the continent of Africa as we know it today. I don't know. These are some possibilities. Somewhat speculative, I understand. But the Bible shows us that these possibilities are there. And, like the Amazon and the Nile, they fit the story better. Show me seven streams over there. I went, I looked, I tried to count that many. I couldn't find them. You know, the rivers split down into the creeks and so on, and I tried to find seven major... You can't find them, they're not there. And there are actually hundreds, if you go back into the mountains in Central Africa, hundreds of little springs and brooks and uh, creeks and so on that come together to form those major tributaries. But you you can't count them as seven streams. They don't count that way. So if there are hundreds there, or thousands, then if they say there's a thousand uh, tributaries in the Amazon, uh, any river has that. I considered the possibility of the Colorado River. So I looked it up and started trying to count the tributaries. And you can make a case for seven streams if you uh, dry up a few, like the little Colorado it comes across the reservation is usually dry. It may have been a bigger river at one time, probably was. But it's hard to count seven on the Colorado exactly, although you can, you can count seven depending on how you want to put it together. You know, you can play with it, okay, and kind of come up with the answer you're looking for. But it is not an obvious thing when you consider the Colorado. Uh, but it's just a plain old straight out statement in the World Atlas about the Amazon has seven major tributaries a thousand miles long. Oh, well, that's a little different. <coughs> Let's see. Let's go to Isaiah 19 now. The burden, or a pronouncement upon, a burden is not a good thing, Mitzriam, Behold, the Eternal rides upon a swift cloud and shall come into Mitzriam, and the idols of Mitzriam shall be moved at His presence, and the heart of Mitzriam shall melt in the midst of it. The heart symbolizes your ambition, your plans, your purposes, uh, your reason for getting up in the morning. And I will set the Mitzriumites against the Mitzriamites, and they shall fight everyone against his brother, and everyone against his neighbor, city against city, and kingdom against kingdom. Now, if this happened historically... Uh, The tribalism in Africa was one tribe against another, cities, villages, fighting each other. And the spirit of Mitzrayim shall fail in the midst thereof, and I will destroy the council thereof. So, the spirit, the power, the motivation would go away. And I will destroy the council thereof. They can't get together and make good and wise decisions to accomplish things like they heretofore were able to do. God removed that. And they shall seek to the idols and to the charmers and to them that have familiar spirits and to the wizards. And if you look at those peoples that inhabit Africa natively, they would say today... That is where they were in tribalism, worshiping sticks and stones and demonism and Satanism just outright. Is that what God caused to happen? And am I on the right track here? And the Egyptians will I give over into the hand of a cruel Lord, and a fierce king shall rule over them, says the Eternal, the Lord of hosts. Who is crueler and who is fiercer than Satan himself? And there were, there, there's so much demonism in the music and in the tribal rites and the various things in Africa, and as well in South America. There's a lot of cannibalism and all kinds of this thing in South America. And many of those peoples are pretty dark-skinned as well. So there may have been a great Hemitic presence there, and those who are left behind show that. And the waters shall fail from the sea, and the rivers shall be wasted and dried up. And they shall turn the rivers far away, and the brooks of defense shall be emptied and dried up. The reeds and flags shall wither. Now, this seems to indicate that the river would, at some point, no longer uh, be able to provide. Well, you can't say that at this moment of the Amazon. It's the biggest tropical rainforest on earth. But then you can't say it about that, e- that river over there either, can you? Because it's still there. It's still apparently as big as it ever was and still provides what is needed for the people who live along its banks, including irrigation and so on. I don't know for sure what this one means, but it doesn't put the Amazon down and the Nile up or the Nile up and the Amazon down either way because they're both there to this day. Now, the Amazon may not be nearly as productive in terms of agriculture as even the plain of Egypt is today, or the Nile, uh, because it has been overgrown with jungle. Was it back then? I don't know. So, let's say verse 5 is and 6 is neutral in terms of what we're discussing here. Because it doesn't seem to apply to either one of them. So this may be something that is yet in the future. Sometimes it's a historical thing in the Bible, usually, and has a, an end-time application as well. How does this one fit? I don't know. But we have to address it. I mean, it's here. So, which one's going to dry up? South America or Egypt? Time will tell. Let's see. It talks about uh, verse fourteen. The Eternal has mingled a perverse spirit in the midst thereof, and they have caused Mitzriam to err in every work thereof as a drunken man staggers in his vomit. Not very productive. The Amazon basin in South America is not very productive. But then the nation of Egypt over there is not either. It's a very third-rate nation there as well. Neither shall there be any work for Egypt, which the head or tail, branch or rush may do. There's just not much productivity there. And they'll be like women. Uh, That doesn't mean women are bad. I just seen that the women are not the ones who generally in mankind's history have built cities and empires and so on. It's, uh, they have had a different function. But be in terms of productivity um, on a national basis like women. And they shall be afraid and fear because of the shaking of the hand of the eternal of hosts, which he shakes over it. And the land of Judah shall be a terror to Egypt. Everyone that makes mention thereof shall be afraid of himself because of the counsel of the eternal of hosts, which he has determined against it. Uh, I don't know how to put this together for sure now, but it ends up with verse 21, The eternal shall be known to Mitzrium, and the Mitz- Mitzriumites shall know the eternal and that day, and shall do sacrifice and oblation. Verse 22, the Eternal will smite Mitzrayim, he shall smite and heal it, and they shall return even to the Eternal, and he shall be entreated of them, and shall heal them. So this obviously goes on over into the future, because that is not true of the land we know as Egypt and Africa today, or in South America, or anywhere else on earth. In that day shall there be a highway out of Mitzriam to Assyria, and the Assyrian shall come into uh, Mitzrium, and the Egyptian into Assyria, and so on. In that day, verse 24, shall Israel be the third with Mitzriam and with Assyria, even a blessing in the midst of the land, whom the eternal of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed be Egypt, or Mitzriam, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. So, God, in His providence, His power, His omnipotence, will take these three major peoples and make them all His people and friends with each other together. Now, that is the ultimate. It is not the case today, but it's coming. So considering uh, what we've looked at so far, I think I can see a possibility that the promised land being here, from sea to shining sea, remember he's made it small in the confines of the original promised land there when he took Joshua into the land, but in several places it says, I will expand your borders, and indicates from sea to sea which is what we have today. Where is the lost city or land of Atlantis? Is it over here? I think a case can be made for that as well. That which is across the Atlantic, but has been basically forgotten about or made desolate, and seems gone. And then once it's resettled, it reappears. Now, if you say from the river Euphrates is the Atlantic, the Euphrates, it's referred to that way uh, in history and possibly even in the Bible. Now, if you take the Euphrates over there in Persia today or Syria today, nowhere in the accounts of any of the history of Israel As they are written by man, do they ever show that the kingdom of Israel ever went to the actual river Euphrates there in Syria? Never went there. If you look at the biggest maps of the kingdoms of Israel, they show it just about the size it is today. Not even in the days of David and Solomon. Does it extend anywhere near the river Euphrates? And yet God said it would be from to the Euphrates. Maybe we'll get some more information a little later on that will show the very distinct possibility that the Atlantic was referred to as a river. You see, the ocean currents take you... And Thor Heyerdahl proved it with the Contiki. You can take a reed boat and float from Africa to South America quite easily. And the, I uh, can't say the name of the one that goes by Florida there, the, the Gulf Stream, comes right up the coast of North America. So you can float from Africa very easily, even without sails, to South America and North America. He proved that very clearly. It was a river current in that sense, an ocean current that brought him across and up. And people have known this for thousands of years. But there are currents in the oceans that will take you specific spots. So they refer to them as rivers or currents. And we do stretch from The Atlantic to the great sea at the setting of the sun, is the way the Bible terms it. The great sea at the setting of the sun. I've stood on the coast of California, Oregon, Washington, Canada, wherever. And when the sun would go down, I've seen it set on what? The Pacific Ocean. So we go from perhaps the Euphrates on the east to the Pacific on the west. And there's evidence of Israel all the way across. Well, I think that's probably enough for today. I made a comment here about where has the world been blessed. And another place it has not been blessed from is South Africa, or particularly Uh, South America or Africa. It's been from here. That land which God promised. There's no evidence of Abraham or of David or of Solomon in the Middle East whatsoever. It just isn't there. There's plenty of evidence in Mesopotamia of the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, all those empires. Plenty of evidence. Plenty of cities. Plenty of places they've dug up. They've dug all over the nation of Israel over there, and they cannot find any evidence of Abraham or of the great works of Solomon and David that the Bible clearly shows. We'll get to that and when we get to the archaeology section and show that this is truly the case. So there's a lot of stuff that comes together. I know there are a lot of questions, and it's easy to doubt, and it's easy to say, well, these are the place names that are there. Well, how did they get there? But does the Bible description of how things will be fit there or here? And so far, I can find all these scriptures in Deuteronomy 8 in different places that describe here, not there. Therefore, there has to be a different explanation of why those places are named what they are. And is it that the original was here, and when those people, through what we read there in Ezekiel, were devastated and ran for their lives, maybe, did they take the place names with them over there that they had had when they were here? People do that, you know. Over here, we have New London. We have New Amsterdam. We have New York. We have places all over this nation named after where people came from. (coughs) Amsterdam's there. This is New Amsterdam. The city of York in England is there. So this is New York. We're reestablishing. It's done very commonly. Why wouldn't it have been done historically if people wanted to preserve what they had learned? Why would people build great pyramids on every continent on earth in the same configuration as the original land of promise and Jerusalem the cradle truly of civilization why would they build them all over the world because they reminded them of where they had been these were the original these are natural those are all man made and built the same way same manner same configuration it's really interesting stuff when you get into it. So we'll stop there for today.